The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion by the Rev. Dr. Nick Brennan. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 760-480-8474. wscal.edu 760-480-8474. So we're continuing our series this morning, um, the faculty series on the questions of Jesus. And and the the small question I want to consider this morning is from John chapter 14, the Gospel of John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Um, And like any devotional sermon, you you pick a good text and then you start studying it and you realize, oh, there are syntactical problems and text-critical problems. And so I'm going to be reading uh, from the... uh, the UBV, the unauthorized Brennan version uh, of John 14, 1 through 3. So if it slightly differs from your translation, uh, that's because of some of these these issues which surround this question. So let me read from John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust in me, says Jesus. Uh, In the house of my father are many rooms. If it weren't so, would I say it to you? For I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go uh, and I will prepare a place for you, again I will come and I'll take you to myself in order that where I am, also you might be. This is the word of God. So the little question here I wanted to consider is this strange little rhetorical question that Jesus says here. If it weren't so, would I say it to you? If it weren't like I just said, as he's been speaking to them in the upper room, would I have told you what I have? Now, this might seem like a kind of naive statement at first if you think about it. Jesus, are you, are you not from this planet? Don't you know that people lie? People twist the truth and they spin. You know, we live in an age of alternative facts. The thing is actually that in John's Gospel, Jesus is a kind of alien. He is someone who has come from another world. He is not like normal people. He possesses a full human nature. He took flesh to himself. But he is not an ordinary human being. This statement, this little rhetorical question then, has all to do with who Jesus is and not to do with any kind of naivety on his part. As we read through John, we find that in fact he really knows people. He knows individuals as he meets them, whether it's the Samaritan woman at the well, or Nathaniel in chapter 1, or Nicodemus, he has deep insight into individuals and deep insight into the human condition. Uh, At the end of uh, chapter 2, it says that he doesn't entrust himself to people who wanted to sort of Shanghai him and take him off to be king because he knew what people were like. He knew what was in a person, and so he didn't entrust himself to them. Now, this, this question is all to do with the strangeness of Jesus that he's not like other people. And so I want to think very briefly this morning then about that rhetorical question in two ways, to think about what it tells us about Jesus and then to think briefly about why Jesus says it at this point. Why does Jesus say it here in John 14, 1 through 3, around the things that he's saying? So first, uh, about what this little question tells us about who Jesus is. We should already have a sense, if we've been reading through John at this point, that Jesus is a very unusual person. 
and particularly at this point in John 14, because we've read twice up to this point that Jesus has now reached his hour and that he is deeply troubled. John 12, now is my soul troubled, says Jesus, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. And then just beforehand in John 13, the narrator tells us, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in spirit. So here Jesus is deeply troubled because he's about to face the cross and all, it, all, the, all the suffering it entails. And in the midst of that, he turns to his disciples and says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. How often we're caught up, aren't we, with exactly what's going on with us. If I'm troubled then the world's troubled, and if you ask me how are things going, I'm going to be interested in telling you about my trouble and not particularly interested in yours. But Jesus is a man for others, as Bonhoeffer put it. He's concerned, even in the trials of his trouble, about the fact that they're troubled. And he's not just a man for others in general, he is a man for his friends who are around him. At this point, Judas has gone out, exited stage left, and Jesus is speaking to his, his children, his friends, the ones he's love, he loves, the ones the Father has given into his hand to be his possession. But not, not objects, not that kind of possession, rather friends. Jesus will say in this speech, no longer do I call you servants, because a servant doesn't know what their master's doing. No, you're my friends. It's this committed love and friendship that forms the backdrop of this offhand rhetorical question. If things weren't like I'm saying, would I say it to you? You see, our mind, I think, doctrinally here, might run to the truthfulness of Jesus, right, in, according to his divine nature. He is the divine son, and so as God, he cannot lie. Well, certainly that would be true, but I think there's something far more here. This is not the oath of a witness in a court of law <clears throat> swearing to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Rather, this is a lover looking into the eyes of a loved one and saying, I would never lie to you. Such a statement is not a generic commitment to telling the truth, but a promise of faithfulness and love. You can trust me. You can depend on me. I won't steer you wrong. Jesus is saying that to his loved ones. And so we could, we could switch the stress there. I would never lie to you, he says. I would never steer you wrong. I won't mislead you, my friends, my disciples. Which means this almost offhand comment of Jesus, this little question, is really a precious few words. It's only about seven words in the Greek. If we spend any time in the world that we live in, a world full of lies and spin, we'll find that often people are doing things with their words, as the postmodernists remind us. That abstracted from truth, words just become about power. And we get treated like, ob like objects. Perhaps the person speaks, a person speaks to us with words just to butter us up so that we'll like them. We're just an object. Or perhaps they'll speak calculated words that are not about the truth, 
but are just about trying to get us to do what they want us to do. They're just trying to manipulate us. We've become an object. But Jesus never treats us like that. He treats us as his friends. He's committed and unfailing in his love. And so he says to us, would I ever tell you something unless it was the case? Absolutely not. As long as the sun burns and beyond it, Jesus will never steer us wrong. He'll be truthful to us. What he tells us is the case, and there's no ifs, ands, or buts. And all this undergirds his statement in 14.1 then. Don't be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. You can trust me, Jesus says. Why else, though, does Jesus say this little statement here? Well, I think it's because also of the kind of critical promise that he's making in the context. Notice that just before in verse 2, he said, In my Father's house are many rooms, unless it were like this, would I say it to you? That is, Jesus could say this over his whole ministry. I, I always tell you, my disciples, the truth. To others outside, perhaps I speak in parables, but to you, I tell it straight. And the disciples are going are to recognize that in the course of this speech. Later, they're going to say, now, Jesus, we see that you're speaking with us clearly, and we start to get what you're on about. But here, I think he says it around this statement because of the critical nature of the promises he's making. You see, the disciples are troubled at this point because he says, I'm going away. He said that to the crowds before, and perhaps they thought, oh, you're going away, and you said they can't go, but of course you don't mean us, Jesus. Of course they can't go with you, they're not disciples. But now he said to them, I'm going away, and you can't come either, and they're troubled. Where is he going? Why can't we go with him? And they haven't listened carefully enough to the words of Jesus, because he says, you can't come with me now. They've got all in a kerfuffle about the not coming, and they haven't quite picked up on the now yet. Jesus says, you can't come now because I've got to go away. I've got to prepare a place for you. And then once I've prepared a place for you, I'll come back. And I'll take you to be with me where I am. And it's in that context that Jesus says, if things weren't this way, I wouldn't say it. If it weren't like that, I wouldn't tell you. Jesus speaks of going away to a place which he pictures as his father's house. A place that's like an extended mansion with rooms for all guests and the family, room enough for everyone, his disciples. And he says he's going ahead to get a place ready for his friends and then he'll come back and take them to be with him where he is. I used to have a friend when I was at school uh, growing up around London and his dad was a property guy. I never quite figured out um, exactly what he did. Um, I don't know, maybe he was like a drug runner or something, but he had this pad in London, right? And if I said it was a townhouse, it would probably conjure up the wrong idea of some sort of skinny little small thing uh, in Carlsbad or something like that. Rather, this was a really rather large mansion in this, one of these Georgian crescents that you get in London. Massive, massive sweeping row of houses. It's the kind of place that you would walk past or drive past and look up at it and think, I know the kind of person who lives there. They're either an ambassador for some obscure government, or they're a rock star, or they're royalty. 
Film, this was, place was so fancy that film companies would frequently approach him, apparently, to ask whether they could rent it out to use it as sets for sort of upscale movies. You wonder, when you look at a place like this, what would it like to be to go in there? But, of course, normally one doesn't get to go into places like this, right? Unless you're some minor member of the royal family. But my friend's dad owned one of these places, and he was often away. And so, whenever we wanted to go out in London, we'd get to go and crash at this amazing apartment-slash-mansion for free. Uh, as the upper class in English would, uh, would say, we had rooms in London. We could go out whenever we wanted. And the only reason I could go there was because of my friend, because of his dad. That's exactly like what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, don't you know, you have friends in high places. Don't you know whose son I am? And as son... He has the keys to the family mansion. Yes, a kind of upper-class privilege in a way, but this is not a, the feckless privilege of the rich, but rather a privilege he buys with his own life, something deeply costly. Earlier, if Jesus, uh, Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed, we could combine it with what Jesus is saying here in this picture. If the Son invites you into his Father's house, you are invited indeed. You are in. You are welcome. You and I have a spot reserved for us with God forever. And the disciples needed to hear that promise and they needed the reassurance when they heard that massive promise of Jesus saying, I'm not lying to you about this. I would never lie to you about this kind of thing. His disciples needed to hear that reassurance and promise because he was going away, and because the time in the meantime would be difficult. Their life, said Jesus, was about to get a whole lot harder. They were going to be dragged before courts and interrogated and cast out of the synagogue. Uh, they would be like Jesus, right? A servant is not above his master. If they hated me, they'll hate you. There would be pressures from outside, but also all the difficulties, as he said in the Upper Room Discourse, of loving other Christians within the church. Very little of it would smell like glory. A lot of it, as a lot of the Christian life does, smells rather like death. And so for them, as it does, I imagine, for you, as it does for me, so often in the face of these difficulties, the words of the tempter rises in our ears. I don't know for you whether it's when you're out on a bike ride and your mind is empty whether you're lying on your bed at night and you perhaps wake in the morning and suddenly your mind turns to this and you hear these words whispered in your ear, he's gone. Jesus has gone and he's not coming back. The cost you're bearing and you've borne in the Christian life is meaningless. It'll never be repaid. Death is the cessation, as all, all the good scientists tell us, is the cessation of all life. And so you might as well just get rich or die trying. As the millennials tell us in their, in their best satanic tones, YOLO, you only live once. In the face of these creeping doubts and fears, Jesus wants to look us in the face and tell us, don't be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, there's room for you. If it weren't like that, do you think I'd tell you? Do you think I'd lie to you? 
I'm going away, yes, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And since I've gone away to prepare a place for you, when I come back, I'll take you to be with me, so that where I am, you will be with me too. Jesus certainly is a truth-teller in John. He speaks the whole truth and nothing but the truth. He bears true witness, unlike that liar, the devil. But to his disciples, he's more than just a true witness. He's a faithful friend who speaks the truth faithfully, not trying to just curry favour, nor ever trying to manipulate you into simply doing what he wants. He tells us he's gone away to, to prepare a place for us with God and soon he's coming back and he'll take us to be there with him where he is. Both because that place is the best of places in itself, but also because there we will live with him and his father and his spirit for good. And making that promise, he looks us in the eye and says, would I ever lie to you? Absolutely not. He wouldn't. One day heaven and earth will pass away. One day our glory will fade and will fall like the grass of the field. But the words of our Lord Jesus are true and faithful and will endure forever. And through them, so will we. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness and truthfulness of Jesus, our friend. We ask for courage and faith and hope to trust him and to build our lives on what he says, even in the face of many voices that would seek to distract us and dissuade us from listening to Jesus. We thank you that he condescends to our fears and doubts and assures us in so many ways. We pray that that assurance would increase today, even as we go about our studies and even as we've sat here and heard your word to us this morning, we praise you, we thank you, Jesus, and we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Copyright 2022, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.